Hey, Prime members, you can listen to Face the Nation with Margaret Brennan ad-free on Amazon Music. Download the app today. This spring, if you'd rather spend time enjoying your lawn instead of trying to keep it alive, there's good news. True Green is the easiest and most affordable way to get a beautiful lawn. All you have to do is water and mow, and they'll do the rest. Weed control, fertilization, aeration, and even some things you might not even think of. They'll do all of it, while you can do literally anything else. With True Green, you can have your lawn looking as good as a putting green. That's not hyperbole. True Green is the official lawn care treatment provider of the PGA Tour. True Green offers a satisfaction guarantee, and they have a verified best price promise, which guarantees you the lowest price with no compromise on quality. You do you. Let True Green do your lawn care. Visit TrueGreen.com to get the best lawn at the best price with the best people guaranteed. Angie's list is now Angie, and we've heard a lot of theories about why. I thought it was an eco-move. Fewer words, less paper. No, it was so you could say it faster. No, it's to be more iconic. Must be a tech thing. But those aren't quite right. It's because now you can compare upfront prices, book a service instantly, and even get your project handled from start to finish. Sounds easy. It is. And it makes us so much more than just a list. Get started at Angie.com. That's A-N-G-I. Or download the app today. I'm Margaret Brennan, and this week on Face the Nation, millions around the world experience firsthand the effects of a warming planet. And most of Hollywood goes on strike. Yet another blow to our economy. A brutal and persistent heat wave has nearly a third of Americans living under a heat alert, many of them confronting temperatures that are downright dangerous. We'll examine the impact on the U.S. and the rest of the world, also suffering from the devastating temperatures. Mesa, Arizona has been particularly hard hit. Mayor John Giles will tell us how his city is coping. Then, President Biden is back from a trip to Eastern Europe, where he rallied America's NATO allies to stand together against Vladimir Putin. We will not waver. We will not waver. But he's back home and faced with new developments from other foreign adversaries. Another provocative missile test in North Korea. New tensions with Iran and more cyber attacks out of China. We'll sort through those challenges with White House National Security Advisor Jake Sullivan and check in with the chairman of the House Foreign Affairs Committee, Michael McCall. And finally, one of America's marquee industries, entertainment, is at a virtual standstill as actors join writers on strike, hitting the picket line together for the first time in 60 years to demand higher pay and increased job security at a time of profound technological and social change. We'll ask media executive Barry Diller about the ripple effects on the broader economy, and we'll hear from tech reporter Kara Swisher on the upheaval in the entertainment world, the tech industry, and beyond. It's all just ahead on Face the Nation. Good morning and welcome to Face the Nation. We have a lot to get to this morning, but we want to begin with some of the extreme weather we're seeing at home and abroad. There are climate shocks across the country with flooding in some parts and a record-breaking heat wave in others. CBS News correspondent Donya Backus is in Los Angeles with more. In the Southwest, a heat dome is intensifying. It's like I'm sitting in a baker and I feel like I'm gonna get toasted. Phoenix, which has been above 110 degrees for 16 days, hit a record high Saturday of 118. Las Vegas could see 117 today, and Death Valley, one of the hottest places on earth, is on track to hit 130. The blistering heat attracting visitors. I never experienced this kind of uh, heat. The extreme heat and dry conditions sparked multiple fires in Southern California burning thousands of acres and prompting evacuation orders. In Florida, beachgoers are finding it hard to cool off. Water temperatures there have been reaching above 90 degrees. Wildfires in Canada are causing smoke to once again blanket portions of the Midwest, bringing air quality alerts to Minnesota and Wisconsin. On the East Coast, Vermont is in a state of emergency following flooding. Flash flooding also took the lives of three people in Bucks County, Pennsylvania, Saturday night. 
Southern California fire crews worked throughout the night and Margaret, they remain on high alert as the peak of this southwest heat wave is expected to hit today. Danya back is for us from Los Angeles. For a look at how the rest of the world is coping, we turn to CBS News foreign correspondent Chris Livesay, who filed this report from Rome. Well, the heat wave is named after the three-headed dog that guards the underworld in Greek mythology. And with temperatures set to rise even further, it has its jaws firmly locked on southern Europe. People have been collapsing under the weight of the heat wave Cerberus. Thank you so much. For two days, Greek officials were forced to close the ancient Acropolis during the most scorching hours to prevent further injuries. We put on 60 SPF, so we're good. We have our water, no complaints. <laughs> it's really hard. I've got asthma, so this heat is terrible for it. In Italy, 16 cities have been placed under a red alert for the extreme heat. Some regions in the south may even exceed 120 degrees. Surface temperatures are sizzling even hotter. In Spain, thermal imaging resembles the sun as ground temperatures reach a blistering 140 degrees. Forest fires ripped through the Spanish island of La Palma, destroying homes and displacing hundreds. All this while East Asia is being inundated. Mudslides and torrential rain in South Korea have left dozens dead and a climbing death toll. In one incident, a freeway tunnel was flooded, leaving many drivers trapped. Indeed, temperatures have been rising steadily for years. The highest temperature ever recorded in Europe was right here in Italy, just a hair under 120 degrees only two years ago. The fear is that this year and years to come could be even worse. Margaret. Chris Livesay from Rome. We now want to go to Weather Channel meteorologist Paul Goodlow from Atlanta, Georgia. Paul, are we near the end of this heat streak? Uh, not at all. Not even in Europe. Also not in the U.S. Yeah, this afternoon, temperatures in Europe already upper 90s, even some temperatures above 100 degrees. And then in the U.S., the southeast, sultry, the east, sultry, stormy in the northeast. The southwest is broiling here in the heat building in the Pacific Northwest, the interior as well. And then there's Phoenix. Yet another day at or above 110 degrees. This streak started way back in June, but it really continues in earnest this month. In fact, our streak is at 16 days. The old record is 18 days. We're at least going to have 21 days or more. And in terms of the end, it's nowhere in sight. The forecast from this month into September, likely above average, well above average in the southwest for, yeah, at least for the rest of this summer. Margaret? We're seeing reports of some kind of unusual things, like in New England today, a warning of a tornado watch. I grew up there. I don't remember that ever happening really before. We're seeing the federal government and NOAA say that June was a record heat level with sea temperatures the highest for any month on record. What is the global impact of all these changes well, it's all about the extra energy we're having here and changing and impacting our weather, which also is impacting our climate. You mentioned temperatures, the waters around Florida, the sea surface waters, we're talking not only bath water, but hot tub water type temperatures here. You don't really get much relief in the water. It is so warm. And that plays into what happens in our atmosphere. The water is warming, so it's adjusting the temperature above that water, adding more humidity. For every one degree temperature increase, we can see 4% more water vapor. Heavier snow events, but also heavier rain events. It doesn't mean we still can't have long persistent droughts. It's the long-term adding energy or heat in our atmosphere, which is fueling wilder extremes. And we're seeing this also with rainfall, not only today in the Northeast, but also last week. Uh, one in 100-year flood events doesn't mean you only see one in 100 years. It's the probability of any given year of 1% seeing that type of rainfall. But guess what? We're seeing more of that. In fact, more of days seeing two inches or more of rain have steadily increased since 1950. We're seeing that right now with flooding in the Northeast. And by the way, it's not just here. 
every region of the country has seen an increase in our heavy rain events, leading to more wilder flood events. We have the concern for severe weather, including flash flooding going on, widespread flood alerts going on across the entire region because our energy is just that supercharged. And by the way, the two things we talked about this morning, heat and flooding, those are the two biggest weather killers. Yes, I know things like tornadoes, even hurricanes, they have a lot of headlines, but the day-to-day -day occurrences of heavy rain and now the super long heat events we're dealing with across the country and the globe are killing a lot more people. Margaret? Paul, wow, that is sobering. Thank you very much. And we turn now to John Giles. He's the Republican mayor of Mesa, Arizona, a city about 20 miles east of Phoenix at the epicenter of this heat wave. Mayor Giles, good morning to you. Um, I imagine it's always challenging to manage a city in the middle of a desert. But with this record streak of heat, what what is the impact on people's health and the community? Well, good, good morning, uh, Margaret. We, we absolutely are used to, to high temperatures in, in the Phoenix area and in Mesa, but but this is unusual uh, due to some of the, I guess, global conditions that, that you just talked about earlier. Uh, we aren't experiencing the, the normal uh, rainstorms that we usually see this time of, of July in Arizona. So we're, we're used to several days over 110, even, even days in the high teens. Uh, but this is unusual because of the, you know, weeks long duration of it. And so what is the uh, short term or future impact that you are planning for? You mentioned rain. What does mm -hmm. that mean for your water supply? Well, uh, water is actually uh, always an issue in the desert, obviously. And then so we, Arizona, believe it or not, is, is really leads the nation when it comes to water conservation. This is the only place in the country where you have to prove that you have a 100 year guaranteed water supply before you can build anything. So, so that is always on our minds, and, and uh, we are continuing to see challenges with the Colorado River. Uh, thankfully, we've got other uh, water sources that, that we rely on. So uh, we feel good about our water future, although that's something that we're very con uh, still working very hard on. Uh, temperatures, uh, we, we do have a long-term plan for that as well. We have short-term plans. We, we, we have a lot of cooling stations. Every year we do a, a big hydration donation campaign in, in Mesa where we collect about, you know, several hundred thousand of these so that we're prepared for uh, helping those who are outside, uh, don't have the, the resources to be inside during the, the hot temperatures. Uh, and then long term, uh, we, of course, have climate action plans, but any climate action plan in a place like Mesa has got to, to take into account uh, heat mitigation, you know, to be something that, that is taken seriously. So, uh, if, for example, in Mesa, we launched a campaign earlier this year to plant a million new trees in our community mm -hmm. to, to create more shade. And uh, also, we're, we're investing in transportation infrastructure. Are you going to have to slow development? I mean, do you know at this point in terms of more construction because of the strain on infrastructure and resources? And how is the electrical grid faring? Uh, electricity is good. We, we have uh, two major uh, uh, electric companies in the Phoenix area, Salt River Project, Arizona Public Service, uh, Tucson Power down in Tucson. And we so far, we have not seen any brownouts or, or any hint that the, that the grid is, go is going to be an issue or the, that uh, wholesale electricity production is, is a problem. Uh, and believe it or not, the, the irony here is that, that the Phoenix area is really in, a, in, a, in an economic boom right now. Mm -hmm. uh, places like Mesa, we've got Apple, Google, Facebook, uh, Meta, all coming and making multi-billion dollar investments, uh, bringing in a lot of great jobs. Uh, so uh, the heat and the, the, the weather, frankly, is the reason these companies are, are, are coming to Mesa and Phoenix. Uh, hurricanes, blizzards, tornadoes, mudslides, we just don't do that here. Uh, so you do have to tough out, you know, some 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 high temperatures in the middle of July. But other than that, the weather is actually a bonus for us. You know, when you were uh, here in Washington with us last uh, on Face the Nation, we talked a bit about your concerns related to migration. Um, and you said at the time that the, the city does get overwhelmed. You're not right on the border, but you deal with the impact. I know Border Patrol says there's been a, uh, that the number of apprehensions has gone down in the past few months. Are you seeing that? And, and how is the extreme heat impacting people's movement? 
Well, the heat absolutely is an issue for people who are attempting to cross the border, particularly those that are migrating from Central America. So, so that is uh, something we're very concerned about. And uh, and the Border Patrol and humanitarian groups along the border uh, are are constantly, every day, rescuing people that are in life-threatening situations. So, so that's very concerning. Uh, the last time I talked with you, we were very nervous about the impacts of, of Title 42 and, and what would happen with that transition. Mm-hmm. Uh, in the past, we've, we've been, every time there's a surge at the border, communities like Mesa are heavily impacted because our, our resources are called upon when the federal government's uh, resources are not enough. Uh, we have been so far so good, though, how, when it comes to the, to the Title 42 situation. Um but uh, again, we, we remain very concerned and, and are looking for a long-term solution there. Well, Mr. Mayor, good luck to you faring in this heat. Thanks for sharing your insights. Face the Nation will be back in a minute, so stay with us. It's three o'clock somewhere. Time for a My Mochi ice cream snack. My Mochi ice cream is cool, creamy scoops of premium ice cream wrapped in sweet, pillowy dough. And get this— All of My Mochi's fabulous flavors, like strawberry, mango, double chocolate, and cookies and cream, are only around 80 calories per piece. Talk about a guilt-free, indulgent experience. Each box of My Mochi ice cream has six perfectly portioned, gluten-free mochis that are great for grab-and-go. So feel good while curbing your afternoon cravings, or the midnight munchies, yeah. You know who you are with the joyfully chill sensation of My Mochi ice cream. Find My Mochi ice cream at Target or visit MyMochi.com to locate a grocery store near you. It's harder to focus than ever these days. Thankfully, C4 has reinvented the energy drink game with C4 Smart Energy, the only energy drink clinically proven to provide enhanced mental focus, containing 200 milligram of natural caffeine, a blend of vitamins and zero sugar. It was formulated to support your well-being and help you feel your best, all while enhancing mental focus. From your brain to your body, C4 Smart Energy does it all and tastes amazing. Look for Smart Energy in the beverage aisle at your local Kroger, Albertsons, and Safeway grocery stores. C4 Smart Energy. Stay focused. The gears of America's entertainment industry ground to a near-complete halt last week when the union that represents actors, SAG-AFTRA, joined writers on the picket line. A disclosure, some CBS News staff are SAG-AFTRA members but work under a different contract than the actors and are not affected by this strike. But to understand who is impacted here, we are joined by Barry Diller, a former movie studio head who's currently the chairman of IAC and Expedia. Welcome back to Face the Nation. Thank you. You know, we were trying to gauge the economic impact of this. And according to the Milken Institute, it could cause $4 billion in economic damage. What do you think the impact will be and how long will these strikes last? Well, the problem with this, look, all strikes get settled. Uh, The issue for this one is, is when, because you have almost a perfect storm here, which is you had uh, covid which sent people home to watch uh, streaming and television and killed theaters. Uh, you, you, you've had the results of huge investments in streaming, which have produced all these losses for all these companies who are now kind of retrenching. Uh, so at this moment, this kind of perfect storm, it's okay if it gets settled in the next month, but I'll posit what happens if it doesn't. And there doesn't seem to be enough trust and energy to get it settled soon. What will happen is, if in fact it doesn't get settled until Christmas or so, Mm -hmm. then next year, there's not going to be many programs for anybody to watch. So you're going to see subscriptions get pulled, which is going to reduce the revenue of all these movie companies, television companies, the result of which is that there will be no programs. And at just the time strike is settled, that you want to gear back up, there won't be enough money. So this actually will have devastating effects if it is not settled soon. And the problem with settlement in this case is there's no trust between the parties. There are existential issues, obviously AI, which I think is just overhyped to death. 
uh, in terms of the worries that actors uh, and writers are going to be replaced rather than assisted, which is what I think will happen. So, but there's no trust. You have the actors union saying, uh, how dare these 10 people who run these companies earn all this money right. and won't pay us. While if you look at it on the other side, the top 10 actors get paid more than the top 10 executives. I'm not saying either is right. Actually, yeah. everybody's probably overpaid at the top end. The one idea I had is to say, as a good faith measure, both the executives and the most paid actors should take a 25% pay cut to try <laughs> and narrow, narrow the difference between those who get highly paid and those that don't. Well, but I, I, I want to talk about what you just said no, no, in terms other, of, only, go ahead. The only other thing I would do, I would call for a September 1st deadline. Yeah. You know, there's a strike deadline. I think there should be a settlement deadline because it, unless it happens by September 1st, the actions, and you know, of course, who cares about Hollywood? Who cares about it? But the truth is, this is a huge business, both domestically exactly. and for world, for world export. And if it, if it, these conditions, yeah. like, don't sound like uh, crying to the skies, but these conditions will potentially produce a, a, an absolute collapse of an entire industry. Well, it, it, and also there are all the people who are, you know, paid by the hour who work on these sets who aren't receiving pay when things are shut down. It's not just people in front of the camera here. But on your point about AI and existential threats here, Fran Drescher, the head of the union, said we're all going to be in jeopardy of being replaced by machines. That's not the only industry worried about that. If you were running a studio right now, what restrictions would you put on generative AI? Right now, overly hyped, as all uh, uh, revolutions that uh, are at the very beginning, you know, the downward consequences of the beginning of a revolution. You know, it can be the Romanovs getting shot and uh, Marie Antoinette losing her head. But in this case, I think the one to three year period, not much is going to happen. Uh, but post that, there are, of course, all these issues. Now, by the way, these issues are not, I believe, uh relative to some of the worries about replacement, I do not think you're going to replace AI-generated actors. I don't think you're going to replace writers. Yes, you can ingest all this stuff and spit out something that sounds like Shakespeare, but guess what? It is not original Shakespeare. Mm -hmm. And writers will get assisted, not replaced. Uh, most of these actual performing crafts I don't think in are in danger of artificial intelligence. Well, the, the union wants some say in, I guess, crafting some guidelines on this. I know AI impacts the publishing industry because you have said um, that published content should be and somehow compensated for if it's plugged into AI to program it. Are you going to seek to sue? Yeah. Oh, actually, we are. A group of us, I think, are. When? And it's not that the, the, the group of us are. I, it's not that either Google or Microsoft are the two real leaders of this in terms of uh, certainly Google with having a monopoly on advertising. They, too, want to find a solution for publishers. The problem is they also say that the fair use doctrine of the copyright law allows them to suck up all this stuff. We, in the publishing side, do not agree with that. Mm -hmm. it, is, it, it will be long-term catastrophic if there is not a business model that allows people professionally to produce content. That would be, I think everybody agrees, a catastrophe. The only way to get there is either legislation or litigation. I think litigation is not going to end up in some courtroom, but I think litigation will hopefully lead to sensible legislation here what has to happen is copyright has to be cop, unless you protect copyright all is lost mm -hmm. so are you thinking of what like the ap just came to an agreement with chat gpt where um they have to license ap's archives of news stories in order to plug them into their model is that the future yeah. for yeah. All publishers it's probably yes but that's probably meaningless i mean that is not going to solve anything and of course it's 
uh, I understand AP and Chat. Look, Chat GPI. What the GPT? What do they want? They want to continue to suck all this stuff up. They want to, of course, say we're open to uh, to commercial agreements. But on the side of those people who are dependent upon advertising, Google, for instance, they say, "Yes, we'll give you a revenue share." Right now, the revenue share is zero. So, what percent of zero would you like today? I mean, that's rational, but it's not to the point. The only way you get to the point is protect fair use. In other words, protect the copyright. Mm-hmm. Are you going to, to launch litigation soon? And who's this group you referenced you're with? Well, it's not fair for me to actually spec- specify the group other than other than it's the leading it's leading publishers. Okay. And and yes, we have to. It's it it it's not antagonistic. It's to stake. A, a, a firm place in the ground to say that you cannot ingest our material yeah. without figuring out a business model for the future. I'll just give you one quick yeah. reference point. 20 years ago when the internet began, the internet was deemed free. Right. And so well, everybody, all publishers said, okay, mm-hmm. let's put it all up for free. Everything's great. Take it. Okay. It almost I've killed the publisher. Right. It took, it took 15 years to get back uh, paywalls that protected publishers. Yeah, I don't think in- that same thing is going to happen. Barry Diller, I love having you. Hope to have you back soon. Welcome back to Face the Nation. And we are continuing the theme with podcast host and tech watcher Kara Swisher of talking about how technology is really changing so many industries. Yeah. And you, of course, you've watched this. Yes. Um, and you've also interviewed Barry Dillon. Yes, many, many, times. many times. Dozens of times. And yeah. I was reading an interview you did with him back in 2019, and it almost mm-hmm. forecast some of this because yeah. he said Hollywood's irrelevant. He did. He and said the rise of tech companies. Yeah, I think he said if their if their children had teeth, their, their children wouldn't have teeth because they're so inbred and they don't understand what's happening. He, he had some <laughs> sort of colorful Barry Diller metaphor about that. Um, but yeah, he was he's been very prescient and honest, and that's the reason I've known him for so long. Because he was one of the first people to contact me from Hollywood, and one of the only. There were just two, Bob Iger and him, about the internet back in the early days, and everyone else thought it would go away. Um, and I kept saying, it's not going away and it's going to keep changing. And that's what's happening now and it continues. And so Hollywood continues to struggle with the implications of technology, even at this advanced stage. And that's the streaming and digital ways that's the latest. of using the pipes to get it out to consumers. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's also the content makers. Right. Absolutely. It's that Apple makes content and Amazon. That's right. And- They're competing with people with enormous amounts of resources and money that and that, does, that that Hollywood doesn't compare to. Um, last year, I interviewed Bob Iger, and he even said Disney was too small. Think about that. Think about the idea that Disney, with its parks and its other its characters, its IP, ha- has a hard time competing with these tech companies that are getting better and better, um, whether it's Apple TV or it's Amazon you know, obviously Netflix has really, you know, really plowed the field here. Um, and it's now back again in a very strong position as, as, a, as a standalone company versus a Hollywood company. The CEO of Disney, Bob Iger, got some uh, criticism, certainly from the union, mm-hmm. um, about his comments that this was just sort of the worst possible time to have this kind of yeah. negotiation because all of the strain on the industry. Yeah, I think he's right, but they don't like that message, right? I think he's probably right. At the same time, he earns an enormous salary, so it's easy to point to it and say, what a greedy man, that kind of thing. And I get that. And I think it's important for them to talk about financials, but it almost has nothing to do with what's going on in Hollywood right now, which is the streaming, um, this shift to streaming, which is necessary and important, um, is expensive. The economics aren't worked out. They've overspent. Um, there's enormous competition between and among all the different companies. And nobody's figured out how to pay for people. Now, the actors are correct. is They should get a piece of this. And figuring out whose value, who values and who's valuable is going to be very hard. And um, but there there is a real strain on the on these companies um, at this moment in time. It doesn't mean it's not going to change, but it certainly is one of those uh, 
sort of Rubicon moments that Hollywood faces from time to time. And I'm, and I'm guessing that the giving everyone a 25% pay cut is not something that that proposal no. from Barry Diller is not going to no. go anywhere. No, I don't think no. so. But they're right in like, what's their value? Whose value is what? And who contributes to what? And what happens over time when you could use AI and all kinds of things yeah. to replicate things rather easily, including writers. And that's what I want to ask you about is AI, um, because this isn't just the entertainment industry. This is no. every industry. Everything. People are saying, am I going to be replaced by a robot? Right. <laughs> right. Well, not a robot. Or you know what I'm saying. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Maybe um, a robot. Maybe. maybe a ro- well, anyway. But on that point, mm-hmm. how is the tech industry thinking about this? Because when you hear the calls for legislation, mm-hmm. things are not moving swiftly in Congress. They are just now really starting classified right. briefings on what AI is. Right. Well, they haven't legislated the old internet yet. Right. Not, not in 25 years. There's not been one piece of legislation, not a privacy, not antitrust, not algorithmic transparency. So I imagine they'll get to this sometime in 2060, 70. I don't know. Um, you know, they're more, they find this more interesting and they're actually moving a little faster because it's a global issue. It's a global issue and a competitive issue with uh, China, for example. Mm-hmm. And so they're thinking about it because of the implications of AI are much more profound. They're more like the shift, uh, farming shift, the manufacturing shift, the internet shift. So this right. is a big moment, actually. I don't. I know Barry said it was undersung. No, it's not. I don't. I he thought said that crypto. about Hollywood, but then he didn't when he was talking about publishing. Yes, publishing, <laughs> of course. That's right. Um, I think he's right. They're not going to suddenly make you know an AI. I don't know Brad Pitt or something like that. He'll he'll be around until his career is over, essentially, and be mm-hmm. fine. But I do think that that there's implications on writers and everybody. I mean, someone that in the in the green room just said, "Is um, I, is AI going to kill us?" And I'm like, "What do you do?" <laughs> you know, he's a lawyer, and I'm like, "Oh yeah, kind of Maybe. like a lot of what you do, but it's going to change what you do versus." Um, say you're a, a lawyer yeah. writing a contract. It can write a contract and then you can check it and it can write it faster. Mm-hmm. Um, if you're a PR person, it'll write a press release better and quicker. If you're in journalism, headlines faster and better and then you can pick it. Mm-hmm. Um, it's a lot like using a spreadsheet. I, I keep trying to explain to people. It's like you don't use a calculator anymore. You use a spreadsheet and you don't think that that's put all these accountants out of business. It, it just changed their work. So what is the entry of Elon Musk announcing he has a new firm mm-hmm. and also wants China to yes. be, what did he say, on team humanity to shape artificial intelligence? Sure. China's always really good that way. <laughs> it's a surveillance state. It's a surveillance state. You know, I think that. Um, you know, I think it has to be a global solution for a lot of issues because when you think about things like killer robots, yeah, maybe we should all come that AI robots, you need to be thinking about that. And there should be global decisions made as a, as a, as a group of countries discussing what should and shouldn't be used. But, you know, every country is competing and Elon's was early to AI. I've interviewed him many times about it a decade ago, but he was late because he opened AI and he parted ways for a variety of reasons. And then they, of course, um, launched ChatGPT, et cetera, and Microsoft made the investment. So Elon was ahead, but mm-hmm. then he was behind. And so now he's trying to be ahead again after calling for a pause. Uh, yes, oh, I remember that, a six-month pause. I know. It's so funny that he calls for a pause and then started a company. I mean, then, yeah, one and would imagine that was hypocritical if one was of that mind. But. Well, there was no pause, right? <laughs> there was no pause. What is his entry, Elon Musk's entry in, uh, excuse me, he's already entered the social media space through mm-hmm. Twitter, but what is the entry of Mark Zuckerberg's new product, Threads, mean for Twitter? Very bad. Very bad. Very bad. First real, I mean, there's been a lot of really interesting efforts. I like them all. But this is someone who has an immediate social network that you can tap into, which is Instagram. Very Mm -hmm. smart way to do it. Um, It's a good product. Um, They're slowly rolling it out. It seems safer. It seems more civil. Um, It's a real, uh, Musk made, gave Zuckerberg an opening. And if they were, say, in a cage match, he would have had the stuffing knocked at him at this moment. We'll see if he can recover, but I don't, I don't think it can because advertising is way off. Mm-hmm. He's created a, a haven for white supremacists. There's no uh, safety on that platform. And so Mark Zuckerberg can come in and say, oh, look, we have safety. Oh, look, we have a network. And it was really smart of Mark. And he's, he's sort of redefining his narrative and hopefully he can get it right this time. Versus Facebook. Last time, yes. Yeah, exactly. All the criticism. There. Yeah, I think it's not going to be a huge business. It's, you know, maybe 8 to $10 billion for him if he turns on the advertising. And and Twitter's gone from $5 billion to maybe $2 billion. Right. 50% drop in revenue. At least. Yeah. If not more. Kara Slosher, it's always great to have Anytime. you here. Anytime. Particularly in person to help yeah. us 
Thank you. make sense of these, these shifts that change our economy, Absolutely. change our politics, change our society. We'll be right back. This episode is brought in part to you by Audible, your go-to destination for thrilling audio entertainment. Whether you're looking for a hair-raising experience to enjoy while you're on the move or eager to dive into sinister and shocking tales, Audible has an exclusive collection of thrillers from best-selling authors that will keep you on the edge of your seat. Like James Patterson's first audio-only thriller, The Coldest Case. Experience stories like never before, where every chilling detail is brought to life by captivating sound design. Plus, as an Audible member, choose one title a month to make yours forever. And now, new members can try Audible free for 30 days. Just visit audible.com slash WonderyPod or text WonderyPod to 500-500. That's audible.com slash WonderyPod or text WonderyPod to 500-500. Okay, it's time to commit. 2024 is the year for prioritizing yourself. Begin your new smile journey with Byte and you could start seeing results in just two to three weeks. Just order your at-home impression kit today for only $14.95 at Byte.com. Byte clear liners are doctor-directed and delivered to your door. Treatment costs thousands less than braces, plus they offer financing options, accept eligible insurance, and you could pay with your HSA, FSA. Get 80% off your impression kit when you use code WONDERY at Byte.com. That's B-Y-T-E dot Start your confidence journey today with Byte. And we're joined now by the chairman of the House Foreign Affairs Committee, Texas Republican Representative Mike McCall. Welcome back. Thanks for having me. Uh, I have a lot to get to with you, but I want to start on the National Defense Authorization Act, which uh, passed the Republican-controlled House, and it was it drew a lot of attention um, this week because of the social policy issues attached to it. So this is a bill; it pays military personnel, it does the things that are necessary for national security. Once this goes to the Senate, they're going to chop out all those things. You know that. Right. Comes back to you in the House. Are you confident that Republicans can get this necessary piece of legislation through without having to turn to Democrats to help you get it over the finish line? You know, we saw this actually when the, the Democrats had the majority. They passed a very partisan, you know, NDAA bill, went over to the Senate. You know, I'm a conferee to the conference committee. And traditionally, the more, um, you know, Less, uh, the more partisan uh, minutes get stripped out. At the end of the day, this always ends up as a bipartisan bill. Uh, you know, but there were some uh, certain policies, like, for instance, the Hyde Amendment since 1980, not mm-hmm. to fund taxpayer abortions that you know, our uh, members felt was very important to put in there. Well, I think that's one that will survive. Well, uh, are you t- you're talking about the provision that would restrict funding to allow service members to travel. And pay expenses. Uh, But it doesn't in any way, the Pentagon policy, fund abortions. Well, you know, I wish they hadn't. Or fertility services. Well, they actually kind of started this argument. And look, this is a process. You know, we had a lot of amendments. Our members needed that vote. And I do think at the end of the day, we come together as a conference. And it will be a bipartisan bill. Uh, I think there's nothing more important than our national defense and our military we give the largest pay raise in 20 years. We mm-hmm. upgrade our triad system, our, our nuclear capability, hypersonics, a lot to counter China and particularly in Taiwan. Uh, so it's vitally important mm-hmm. we not politicize this bill at the end of the day. And I, I feel very confident we'll have a bipartisan bill coming out. Okay, because you did vote to eliminate the diversity offices at the Pentagon to deny transgender troops coverage for hormone therapy for this restriction on funding for people to get um, uh, re- reproductive services, including fertility treatments and uh, abortions, to travel. None of that you think ends up. Well, because that goes bill. against. Because none of those things will get Democrats. Well, it goes votes. against since 1980. We haven't funded anything that goes towards taxpayer, uh, you know, abortions. I think some of the policies on culture that the that the Defense Department has instituted has caused problems within our own military. Recruitment is an all time low now. Uh, after Afghanistan, but, and then to watch these videos that these. These uh, trained, you know, say mm-hmm. SEALs have to watch, uh, you know, injecting their own social moral policies. Let's make it about readiness and our yeah. ability to fight a war. Well, yeah, and, and that's why uh, the defense secretary said, what, one in five troops are now female. And that what he 
put this policy in to be able to do is for them to travel to get things that aren't covered in the states they're living. So should, shouldn't should all troops, regardless of where they're stationed, get the same treatment? Like, why penalize them for living in Texas? Well, they're, free, they're free to travel to another state uh, to have... But they'd an, be penalized. They'd have to, to take have time abortion, off. To have abortion, just not taxpayer expense. They'd have to take the time off and, mm-hmm. and the like. And so that would impact their ability to do their jobs, arguably, right, if they have to to go on leave. But anyway, I want to also ask you about one of the things that was in there, or not in there, but many conservative members of your caucus wanted it to, and those were restrictions on funding for Ukraine. Um, what does that indicate about what Republicans will get over the finish line mm-hmm. in the fall in terms of an actual supplemental to help Ukraine? Right. Well, you know my position on Ukraine. We should have a year ago been putting in the weapons we're putting in just now right. uh, for victory, not to, just to survive. Uh, there were several Ukraine amendments. Uh, they, they all failed. Uh, and I would say the majority of Republicans voted to support Ukraine. At the end of the day, you know, the Reagan Institute did a great, uh, a great uh, poll that showed that over 70 percent of Republicans support uh, Ukraine. I think that was reflected in our vote. Yes, we had about 70 members mm-hmm. that voted against it. But I do think when it comes back, you're going to see a more bipartisan support for things like our efforts uh, in Ukraine, particularly as we're in the counteroffensive. Uh, to me, it's very dangerous to have these amendments when Ukraine is in the crossfire trying to push the aggression of Russia back uh, in the counteroffensive. You're talking about amendments like what Marjorie Taylor Greene were, was trying to attach. Correct. And Republicans did oppose this thing that we, they the did. And, and it failed. And I think that's good news. Um, you've been pushing for longer range missile systems mm-hmm. like ATACMS. Do you have enough funding in this current allotment or what you can put together in the fall to continue the pace of weapons? Sure. It was already appropriated in the supplemental uh, last year, you know, the $90 billion. I mean, it's a drawdown authority. We have attackums. So I have great sources on the ground, and they're telling me right right now, because of the mines and the fortifications, uh, that what they need, the cluster munitions are going to help with, you know, killing Russians in the field. However, they need the longer-range artillery to hit the depots, the energy, the, the logistical supply lines. They don't have that, and they don't have air cover. And that's that's yeah. really important here because the F-16s were held back so long mm-hmm. by the administration and the pilot training that they don't have what they need to win in this counteroffensive, and it's really sad. I want to ask you quickly about Iran. You've been vocal in asking the administration for a briefing on the presidential envoy, Rob Malley, and why he is suspended. Do you have any promise that you'll get it, that you'll get information? Well, we sent, I sent a letter. Now, we were rebuked. We have been given no answer about his status. Remember, this is the top negotiator to Iran on one of the most, you know, a nuclear weapons program, yeah. highest classified secrets. So uh, we are giving a deadline of July 25th. To have, you know, the uh, diplomatic security and, and uh, management secretary come in and brief us in a classified space. Margaret, I can't tell you how important this is, because if he somehow, you know, worst case scenario, if he transferred intelligence and secrets right. to our foreign nation adversaries. But there's no proof of that at this point. There is no proof of that. But if he did, yeah. that would be treason in my view. Um, unfortunately, I have to leave it there because we have a hard out here, but uh, more to talk to you about always. We'll be right back. Thanks, Margaret. Man, that sunset is gorgeous. Grill, patio, sunset. Hard to get better than that. Unless you're browsing Carvana's inventory while you soak it all in. Oh, burger time. So sit back, get comfortable. Carvana's got thousands of cars under $20,000 just waiting for you. I could stay here forever. Carvana, where car buying meets comfort meets convenience. Download the app or visit Carvana.com today. The comfort of your favorite seat is now your comfy car-selling command center, thanks to Carvana. It doesn't get any better than this. Your favorite seat's the best spot in the house. Make it even better by entering your license plate or VIN and getting a real offer in minutes. There really is no place like home. And speaking of home, Carvana will pick up your car from yours after you finalize your offer. Visit Carvana.com or download the app and sell your car from your comfy place. We turn now to President Biden's national security advisor, Jake Sullivan, who we spoke with earlier about the latest Chinese cyber hack. 
This was an intrusion actually into Microsoft, into Microsoft's cloud system, and they went in through that to get into uh, the unclassified email system of U.S. government agencies. It was actually the U.S. government that discovered the intrusion, alerted Microsoft, shut it down, and we're taking steps to make sure that uh, that's not a vulnerability going forward. We have seen this kind of thing before many times over many administrations, and we take steps uh, to try to hold the relevant actors responsible, and we'll do so in this case. They're China-based actors, according to Microsoft. Do you have any reason to dispute that? No, I have no reason to dispute what Microsoft is saying. The Treasury Secretary told us that uh, China's decision to cut off ingredients for computer chips starting August 1st may be retaliatory for some of the actions the U.S. has taken um, to restrict tech sales to China. Do you see this as tit-for-tat moves here? Are we in a period of escalation despite your diplomatic outreach? Look, I can't get inside the heads of the Chinese decision makers, so I'm not sure what was motivating them. What I do know is that I I think it's a self-defeating move because I believe that it will only reinforce uh, the determination of many other countries in the world to de-risk, to find ways to reduce dependencies and increase the resilience of their own supply chains, including for the kinds of critical minerals that are at issue in this particular decision. So from our perspective, we are being clear and transparent about the steps we're taking. We're not looking uh, to end all trade with China. What we're looking to do is have a small yard of restrictions on technology with national security implications and a high fence around that yard. That's what we're going to continue to do. And China, of course, will have to make its own decisions. Uh, Staying in Asia, uh, we saw this week that North Korea appears to have taken a significant step towards an intercontinental ballistic missile that could put the U.S within range um, of a nuclear weapon, potentially. Are you concerned that they will carry out another nuclear test in the coming weeks? I have been concerned for some time that North Korea would conduct what would be its seventh nuclear test going back multiple administrations. And I remain concerned about that. I don't see any immediate indications that that's going to happen, but uh, it would not come as a surprise if North Korea moved forward with another nuclear test. With respect to its intercontinental ballistic missile capability, this is a capability they began testing several years ago. They have continued to test it. We watch all of those tests very closely to see how it is developing. And we coordinate extremely closely with our allies, with Japan and Korea, to make sure that we are responding in lockstep to this threat. Have you made any new diplomatic overtures since this test in order to negotiate with Pyongyang or talk to them at all? Not since this test, but over the course of the Biden administration, we have indicated to North Korea that we're prepared to sit down and talk without preconditions about their nuclear program. And we've also made clear to China uh, that it is the United States who is ready for diplomacy and North Korea who is not. So from our perspective, China has a role to play here, too, given its relationship with North Korea, uh, to indicate to the North Koreans that its continued testing is destabilizing and, frankly, uh, is, in fact, only creating circumstances in which the United States, our allies and partners, have to step up our activities and posture to respond to the threat. You are just back from Europe where the president was at this NATO summit. Um, On the diplomatic front, though, there are other issues as well, including the expiration of what's known as this Black Sea uh, initiative to allow for ships carrying food leaving Ukraine to safely pass without Russia attacking them. Is there any sign from Vladimir Putin that he is willing to extend this? Look, I can't predict what Vladimir Putin will do. He has been all over the map with respect to this initiative over the course of the past many months. It is possible that Russia pulls out of it. It is possible they continue. If, in fact, they pull out of it, the rest of the world will take a look at that and say that Russia has turned its back on ensuring that the countries of the global south and Africa and Latin America and Asia uh, can get the food they need at affordable prices. And I think that will come at an enormous diplomatic cost to Russia going forward. So this is a choice Vladimir Putin's going to have to make. We are prepared for any scenario and we're working closely with the Ukrainians on that. Okay, because it's set to expire at midnight tomorrow. Um, In terms of the promises made at NATO, there was this general pledge to potentially allow Ukraine to join in the future. Are you concerned that that will shape a negotiation potentially with Russia to end the conflict where they are incentivized to just drag this out? 
The Ukrainians are currently, as we speak, bravely and courageously pushing against the Russian lines in the south and in the east. They are inflicting enormous damage on the Russian forces. The West is working to continue to tighten the squeeze of our sanctions, uh, hollowing out Russia's defense industrial base, weakening its capacity to produce advanced technology. We will continue to put uh, economic pressure on Russia and the Ukrainians will continue to put military pressure on Russia. So I think in the end, if Russia chooses to continue fighting in this war, it will come at a grave cost to Russia and Ukraine will continue to make progress on the battlefield. In the meantime, we are going to make sure that Ukraine has the support it needs for as long as it takes. And that is a message that came out of the NATO summit. And finally, yes, we said at NATO, very simply, Ukraine's future is in NATO. We meant it. That's not up for negotiation. That's something that now all 31 allies have committed to. Not up for negotiation. Okay. Um, on Iran, before I let you go, you've said that uh, the administration is trying to put Iran's nuclear program back in the box, ultimately through some diplomatic effort. Are you close to any type of understanding on that front and any type of understanding that would allow for the four Americans to be released? We have tried very hard uh, to secure the release of the four unjustly detained Americans in Iran. We have done so since the day that President Biden took office. We have had uh, indirect contacts with Iran on this in an effort to try to get a deal that could get them released. We have not arrived at an understanding that would get them out at this point. We are continuing to work at it. And by understanding in terms of the nuclear program, this would not be any kind of written agreement. We are not close to any kind of actual deal. With respect to the nuclear program, we're not close to any kind of a deal. May I quickly ask you about Rob Malley, the president's envoy. Is he coming back to the administration? We understand he's being suspended as the security clearance is being reviewed. Rob Malley has served multiple administrations faithfully and well. He is a public servant. He is a diplomat. He is engaged in high-level, high-stakes diplomacy for a long time. Uh, and he's someone who a lot of us, including myself, have deep respect for. I can't speak to the current circumstances. I have to refer you to the State Department on that. All right. Jake Sullivan, thank you for joining us today. And we'll be right back. That's going to be it for us here today. Thank you for watching. Until next week. For Face the Nation, I'm Margaret Brennan. Today's guests were White House National Security Advisor Jake Sullivan, Mesa, Arizona Mayor John Giles, Texas Republican Congressman and House Foreign Affairs Committee Chairman Michael McCall, Chairman of IAC and Expedia Group Barry Diller, and tech journalist Kara Swisher. The executive producer of Face the Nation is Mary Hager. This broadcast was directed by Shelley Schwartz. Face the Nation originates in CBS News in Washington. For more Face the Nation, we're online at facethenation.com, and you can follow Face the Nation and CBS Radio News on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook. Face the Nation is also rebroadcast on our CBS News streaming network on Sundays at 1.30, 10 p.m. Eastern and again at 4 a.m. the next morning. And it's available through our apps, CBS News and Paramount+. Plus. If you like Face the Nation with Margaret Brennan, you can listen early and ad-free right now by joining Wondery Plus in the Wondery app or on Apple Podcasts. Prime members can listen ad-free on Amazon Music. Before you go, tell us about yourself by filling out a short survey at Wondery.com survey. Get one of the most successful broadcasts in television history on your schedule with the 60 Minutes podcast. Hard-hitting investigative reports, news and culture maker interviews and in-depth profiles are waiting for you in every episode. Listen to 60 Minutes ad-free on Wondery Plus. The Hargan women seem to have it all. We were blessed. My mom was amazing. But detectives would soon discover... Inside the house, there were the bodies of two women. A story of betrayal you would struggle to believe if it wasn't true. I am just praying to God this is a sick joke. From 48 Hours, this is Blood is Thicker, the Hargan family killings. Listen to Blood is Thicker, the Hargan family killings, early and ad-free on Wondery Plus.